Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Uh, welcome to the second episode of the fourth season of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Uh, I hope everyone's doing okay out there. I just spent a very frustrating evening fitting a new kitchen faucet, and I cannot tell you how much I hate doing home repairs and rentals. You know, unless you have the right tools, jobs which should take 20 minutes often end up being a couple of hours. It certainly makes me reappreciate tradespeople and their craft. Now, speaking of craft, today's episode is a sparkling example of superb songwriting. We're talking today about the second track from Our Promises, A Woman in Love, brackets, It's Not Me. Don't forget to go listen to the song first um, at the link that I've left for you in the episode notes, and then come back and we'll dig in. second track from this album was also the second and in most of the world final single uh, released from the album uh, most fans will be aware that the run out dead wax on the original vinyl pressings of our promises features a tribute to the recently murdered john lennon uh, the inscription reading simply we love you jl in capital letters paul zolo asks in conversations with tom petty do you remember where you were when you heard he got shot and tom explains that the band was actually recording the vocals for a woman in love when the call came in their initial response, as Tom says, was, we just thought it was nonsense. And then a call came right back in about 15 minutes that said that John's dead. So we stopped work and we went home. And I can remember very vividly the day that that news came through, my mum and dad being such big Beatles fans, it came as a, a real shock. Now, at seven years old, I was sad, but I'm not sure I really understood the enormity of what had actually happened. But for working musicians, I can only imagine how jarring it must have been that a fan had walked right up to John Lennon at the doors of his home and killed him in plain sight. Obviously, Tom had his own brush with fan obsession when he was the victim of a terrifying arson attack in 1987. And of course, in 1999, his great friend George Harrison was also the victim of a horrendous assault at his Friar Park home. And I imagine that these incidents would have been extremely formative in the protective shell that Tom wrapped around his personal life. Um, it would have to be in the back of your mind, wouldn't it, that you just don't know exactly what's going to happen when so many people know your face and you know probably know roughly where you're going to be at any given time. Thankfully, however, it didn't make Tom paranoid to the extreme, and when Paul Zolo asks him, do you still have security? Tom's measured answer is, you've got to have a little bit just to be safe. So, all right, let's get into the song. Uh, a Woman in Love is one of the best rope-a-dope songs Tom ever wrote, and by that I mean, as the song opens, you drop almost immediately back into a sort of damn the torpedoes mindset and figure you know exactly where this song is going to go. However, after Stan's initial Tom hit and that great guitar lick, the track drops into a really straight sort of 4-4 rock groove and it would be easy to think this is going to be a predictable but, you know, a well-written 80s rock song. But after eight bars of intro, the whole mood of the song changes and takes you into a space that you're not expecting at all. One really cool thing is that during the chord progression during the verses, there's only actually one minor chord but it's punched home so hard by being so stark and, I don't know, like isolated, that you really feel it resonates even through those major chords that follow. We get a killer laid-back drum-bass combo in the verse um, with Stan going to sidestick, which he really did on those first five albums. Um, you know, he's easing up a lot on the hats and letting the kick and the sidestick really create the atmosphere. 
Then once the verse is over, you get that gargantuan fill into that first chorus. Stan's drums are huge on this song once it steps out of its moody shadow. And I think I've talked about this before, about I always think it's a little unfair to label Stan as a power drummer, as that usually overlooks the subtlety that a musician can employ. And both sides of Stan Lynch are in full force on this song. The verses are so delicate and whispered percussively, and then thunderous and aggressive during the choruses. You know, if you didn't have that rhythmic dynamism and someone who could nail it feel-wise, this song just wouldn't work. And Stan makes it work. Boy, does he make it work. One cool thing, too, if you check out the official video in the episode notes, uh, there's a bit right at the end of the middle eight where Stan's playing a fill, and he looks right down the lens of the camera, and I just love that. It's such a an incredibly rock and roll cool moment, especially in black and white, and you just get pure rock god energy from Stan Lynch. The song is the third and final Heartbreakers track to feature Duck Dunn on bass. It's also the only one of those three that I think, well... Ron could most definitely have played that one. Of course, this was the album during which Ron was thinking about leaving the band, and of course, after the album, he did leave the band, so the timing of that whole situation could be a factor, but both Mike and Tom play bass on this album, and I would argue that either of them would have done a great job on this track. I mean, you know, that takes nothing away from the fantastic bass part that Duck plays, but it's not quite as distinct as the swing groove he plays on Hometown Blues from the debut album or the funk that he lays down on You Tell Me from Torpedoes. What I think Duck does bring to the bass part on this song is even more notes. I don't really know how to explain it, but I think Ron Blair would have sat even deeper in the pocket on this one and let that sort of pensive energy really grip your knees by playing a little bit less. Duck's bass tone is definitely different too, and if I ever get to talk to Ron, I'd love to ask him how much he listened to that when he was playing this song live versus how much he just made it his own part. Uh, A Woman in Love is one of three co-writes on the album between Tom and Mike, and incidentally, all three are songs that I adore, but this one is almost stereotypically a Mike composition musically. It's really guitar-centric, but not in a virtuosic way. And I would kill to hear the demo that Mike sent Tom for this one to see where the changes are and if that verse-chorus juxtaposition was as stark and as obvious as it ended up being on the final product. You know, right at the gate, we get that great lead guitar part with plenty of reverb, which is also mixed, you know, really sort of mid-trebly with barely any bass at all. Um, and production-wise, you typically do that uh, to, to let that kick-bass pairing resonate in those lower frequencies. The rhythm guitar on this one is subdued to the point of virtual anonymity in the intro and during the choruses, and where that rhythm guitar comes to the fore is more during the bridge. Looking at various online sources for chord charts, etc., that middle section that starts around you know the 221 mark is often referred to as a solo, but I'd dispute that wholeheartedly. I don't think it's a solo at all. Mike is simply playing a suspended arpeggio over a heavily augmented chord progression that really puts me in mind of bands like The Stranglers or The Hollies, at least melodically. And Mike really breathes a ton of life into this one during the verses with some ultra-clean, super-simple fills that really put me in mind of his work on Boys of Summer by Don Henley. Again, all these sort of elements that come in from outside the Heartbreakers to make the Heartbreakers um, bigger as a whole always fascinate me. And I actually wonder, you know, thinking about the those little licks he's playing in the verses and this and how similar they are to some of the stuff he's doing on Boys of Summer, I wonder if it was a sort of a structure that he had in place around the time of Hard Promises or Long After Dark and reworked and sort of gave to Don Henley. I'd be, I'd be curious to see if that was, um, was from around this era because it kind of feels like it might be. 
And again, after, you know, I t- last week I, I talked about Benmont's virtual cameo on The Waiting. He's back to being a torpedo-esque powerhouse on this track with a great big organ sound throughout the verses and a piano or a piano pad sitting on the on the eighth notes. Again, nothing virtuosic about what he's playing, but it's definitely much more of a presence than it was on that uh, that opening track. Alrighty, it's time for some petty trivia for the week. So last week's trivia question was, which original track was recorded during the Wildflower Sessions to be included on 1993's Greatest Hits album? The answer, as pretty much every single one of you guessed, or knew, is Mary Jane's Last Dance. The song became one of the last tracks that drummer Stan Lynch would record with the band and of course has a very ambiguous central theme. You know, it could be about drugs, it could be about you know, an Indiana girl. There's a lot of uh, discussion around that. And Mike Campbell and Tom even were very coy about what the what the song was actually about. And I, I quite enjoy that. I don't think you always need to lay out exactly what you were thinking when you wrote a song for it to still be impactful. Um, Kim Basinger, who starred in the dark brooding video for the song, said of the reason she appeared in the video at the peak of her stardom really was, I did Mary Jane's Last Dance uh, for one reason, Tom Petty. And I think that's a recurring sentiment that's been echoed by many collaborators over the year. Um, I was informed on social media by my friend Pete Nestor that this last question was way too easy. So, <laughs> your question for this week is this. The Heartbreakers released 10 songs on original studio album releases that have subtitles. So not deluxe editions or compilations, just the sort of the 16 studio releases. Now, by subtitles, I mean something added in brackets after the main title. So I'm giving you an easy one with today's song. A Woman in Love, brackets, it's not me. The question for this week is this. Can you name the other nine? Okay, back to the song. Once we come out of that bridge, that middle eight, or, you know, what some people are calling a solo, we get arguably the sultriest vocal line Tom ever sang. Time after time, night after night, she would look up at me and say she was lonely. You know, that line's achingly beautiful and would be fine on its own, but it's followed by, I don't understand the world today. I don't understand what she needed. I gave her everything. She threw it all away on nothing. Wow. Talk about leaving your killer punch for the last round. It's a superb lyric and a powerhouse vocal performance all round, but those two stanzas of that last verse, standing as they do as a reflection on the rest of the song, are, you know, incredibly powerful to me. The second verse might well be one of my favourite moments on the album too. It comes in so much later than you're expecting and gives us that line, well, all right, do what you want. Don't try to talk, don't say nothing. You know, the sheer despondency and resignation in those lines, but not from a position of frustration with a lover, but a kind of empathy for the anxiety of someone else's life, it always blows me away. And to me, this is a really sympathetic lyric which captures the rollercoaster of emotions that a lot of people go through in a relationship. As Renee McCormick commented on my social media, the way the music rises and falls, just like most relationships of women in love. You know what? I think that sums it up absolutely beautifully. So yeah, I think a woman in love 
it has to go down as one of Tom's best early vocal performances or even one of his best of all time. Um, listen to the way he drops the volume off on the second syllable of woman in the line, she used to be the kind of woman, and he goes to falsetto. And also he clips the word love short on the first line of the chorus. Most singers would drag out the word love on both lines, but Tom doesn't do that. He switches it up. And again, all those little sort of attention to detail things that I think were really focused and deliberate during the Iovine era carried throughout the rest of the Heartbreak's career and make all these songs so much stronger than they already are. Something else that Tom did throughout his writing and recording career was to write songs that didn't sound remotely like anything he'd written before. He would often fall back on familiar ground, but almost every album has a song or two that makes you sit up and think, didn't see that coming. For me, this is one of those songs. I was talking to John Paulson on the Torpedoes rap episode about being a big fan of Foo Fighters, and and Dave Grohl obviously had a, a tenuous drummer of Nirvana when they were pretty much the biggest thing on the planet. One of the things that that band did really well was to write songs that were quiet, then loud, then quiet, then loud. And that's a sonic trick that they credit to picking up from the Pixies. You know, if you don't know the Pixies, do check them out. You'll understand you'll understand Nirvana a lot more if you do. But there were other bands that used this songwriting device too before the Pixies. And for me, A Woman in Love is one of the most glorious examples of how to change the tempo, mood, and vibe of a song between sections. The chorus is fairly straightforward rock and roll, but the verses are so unexpectedly different that they elevate this song into an entirely different oral space. Okay, folks, that's all for this week. A Woman in Love is such a unique song in the Heartbreakers catalogue, you know, along with a couple of others from the same side of this album, actually, that I can't rate it any lower than a 10. It's gloriously produced, beautifully played, and has that drop-off-a-cliff change into the verses that presaged a whole different way of writing popular rock music. And let's be honest, it's a vocal tour de force from Tom. As good as anything he did in his career, really, I think. So yeah, a second 10 out of 10 for me, and maybe I'll catch heat for that one, but again... I'd start from the standpoint of show me where the flaws are and how you'd change this song. Vocals, immaculate. Guitar, again, immaculate. Rhythm section, flawless. Lyrics, perfect. You know, and there's a reason that this song ranks so highly on a lot of Tom Petty fans' lists, and that's because it's sonically superb, but also emotionally resonant at the same time. Okay, um, I'll sign off now, but again, before we do... Please remember that you can support humanitarian efforts in Ukraine in many different ways, and I would urge you to do so if you have the means, and I would urge you to continue doing so even if you've had already. Um, uh, And as always, I've added a link to the Red Cross donation page in the episode notes, and I'll continue to do so until, well, until I need not to. Um, But if there are other ways that you're supporting efforts to get aid to Ukraine, please continue to do those too. And you know what? Even share those on on social media. I think that would be a a great thing to do. We We can all get behind that. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. You can also find me on YouTube. So go follow, like and subscribe and please leave a review or a rating. I had a really lovely review actually on Apple Podcasts, which I'm, I might share at some point because, you know, when when complete strangers speak so highly of you, it's it's very humbling and very sort of a little bit uncomfortable, but also very gratifying. So I think I might share that one for you. And, you know, and it talked about the podcast in very glowing terms. So I'm, I'm so, so thankful um, for the person who left that review. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of link to that at some point. 
Um, don't forget the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty estate in any way. And when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit all the official channels. You know, go buy records from the Tom Petty store. Go to TomPetty.com and go buy some vinyl or go buy a CD. Because then all the money goes to goes to the Tom Petty estate and none of it goes to you know the record company. So that's one avenue you can think about. Um, don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook. Um, they're great fan communities to hang out with and there's some wonderful people in there who love Tom Petty just as much as you and I do. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to talk about the astounding third track from Our Promises, Night Watchman. Bye-bye.